Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 13 of Revelation chapter 16. We're going to be reading verses 11 and 12. Revelation 16 verse 11 says, And blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates and the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Well, um, I probably should have read verse 10. Verse 10 is when the fifth angel pours out his vial upon the seed of the beast and his kingdom was full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues for pain and blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. Now we looked at the uh, Greek word for pain that's found in verse 10 and pains and in verse 11. Uh, so we're, we're now going to look at the word translated as sores. Um, an open sore in the Bible indicates God's wrath. That is, that is a sore that, uh, is continuous. It cannot be healed. It, it's, a an indicator that one is under the wrath of God because healing of a sore would point to salvation. The lack of healing on a sore indicates that there is no salvation. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, that's the chapter uh, wherein God is speaking of the curses of disobedience from verse 15 through the end of the chapter. And it says in Deuteronomy 28 in verse 35, Jehovah shall smite thee in the knees and in the legs with a sore botch that cannot be healed from the sole of thy foot unto the top of thy head. Now notice God is doing the smiting. It's a sore botch that cannot be healed. This is the, the judgment of God when God uh, does not save a sinner when he brings a judgment, for instance, against the church. Corporately, the church was smitten, and uh, it was as though uh, individuals had these sores upon them, and and yet there is no healing. There's no balm in Gilead. There There's no medicine of the gospel because it must be applied by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, also in Deuteronomy 28, it says in verse 59, Then Jehovah will make thy plagues wonderful, and the plagues of thy seed, even great plagues, and of long continuance, and sore sicknesses, and of long continuance. Moreover, he will bring upon thee all the diseases of Egypt, which thou wast afraid of, and they shall cleave unto thee. Also every sickness and every plague which is not written in the book of this law, then will Jehovah bring upon thee until thou be destroyed. So plagues and diseases and 
sore sicknesses. And they're, they're all spiritually representing the same thing. It, it, someone suffering from them is uh, a picture of someone under the wrath of God. Remember Job, uh, when God afflicted him. We read in Job chapter 2, in verse 6, And Jehovah said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So went Satan forth from the presence of Jehovah, and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And it's a similar thing that we just read in Deuteronomy 28. Because Job is a type of Christ under the wrath of God. And and this kind of language of being struck with sore boils from the uh, sole of your foot to your crown, the top of your head, is language that applies to anyone or any entity under God's judgment, whether it be the Lord Jesus Christ or it be Israel of old or the New Testament corporate church. Also, in the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 14, God speaks of sore judgments. In Ezekiel 14, verse 21, For thus saith the Lord Jehovah, How much more when I send my four sore judgments upon Jerusalem, the sword and the famine and the noisome beast and the pestilence to cut off from it, man and beast. So the sore judgments of God. That's exactly what sores point to. And in our verse in Revelation 16, and um, they gnawed their tongues for pain. It said at the end of verse 10, and blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains. And we, we saw that the, the word pain is related to wickedness and evil and and badness and sin always brings pain and and mankind the unsaved blaspheme the god of heaven because of their pains their their sinful activity is harming them it it has brought ruin to them in the day of judgment because they uh, they are not saved and now cannot be saved. And and also their sores, that is the wrath of God coming down upon them. And this uh, causes them to blaspheme the, the God of heaven. And again, to remind us, the word blaspheme, or the, actually the Greek word, which is similar it's almost transliterated. Uh, the Greek word is um, blasphemos or something like that, very similar to the English, and that's where this word comes from, from the Greek. It means to speak evil of, and we've gone over this. You can um, look up the word uh, blaspheme. I think it's 987 in Strong's Concordance, and you'll see this identical word is translated that way a few times, speak evil of. So they spoke evil of the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. And is that uh, something that unsaved man does? Yes. 
Yes, whether in the church or out of the church. Yes, man uh, has a tendency to speak evil of God. And if not God directly, if if not in naming him, they will speak evil of his doctrine. And we looked at this um, a little while ago, but let's look again in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 1. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and doctrine, his doctrine, be not blasphemed or be not spoken evil of. And and now when we think of the the faithful Bible doctrines, are they spoken evil of? Uh, for instance, election. All God's people know, as soon as they hear that, that yes, God is the one who is in complete control of whom he saves, and it is through the doctrine of election. Do people speak evil of that? Oh, yes, they do in the churches. Do people speak evil of God's doctrine of the Sunday Sabbath? Oh, you're you're trying to... I, um, impose upon me a, a works gospel and, and trying to tell me to keep Sunday as the Sabbath. Oh yes, they'll speak evil of that idea of keeping Sunday holy because it is the New Testament Sabbath day. And do they speak evil of God's laws concerning marriage and divorce? Why, certainly that's an archaic thought that uh, we cannot divorce when a marriage is not working out. Do they speak evil of God's law concerning that marriage is for a man and a woman and, and, and not two men and not two women? And yes, without any question today, men speak evil of this most basic truth of the Bible that mankind had adhered to throughout its whole history until just recently, relatively recently, and and now it's evil spoken against. Well you're you're holding back love. You're uh you're you're trying to um uh, to tear people apart and all they want to do is love one another. And and you see how it can be mischaracterized and yet it is God's doctrine. God's the one who said what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And from the beginning, it was a man and a woman. It's very clear. There's no doubt about about it. And actually, God speaks of the sin itself of homosexuality as an abomination. Well, God also speaks evil of, or God is permitted to speak evil of. God's permitted to condemn because he's God. And, and God tells us the truth. And so God, um, says that witchcraft is an evil thing. But men say, oh, it, there's no harm. There, there's no problem. It's just a, an alternative lifestyle. And to be a wizard or a warlock or a witch. And you, whatever it is practically, whatever it is that God says, the world turns it around, perverts it, changes it, distorts it, and and uh, dismisses it 
and and whatever else just so they don't have to listen to the word of god they they make christmas which is not uh, biblically called for no one has to observe christmas but but the world can't even um put up with the idea of having a holiday in which the lord jesus christ is the object of uh, attention and so they turn christmas to Santa Claus. They turn Easter to the Easter Bunny. And again and again and again, God and His doctrine is blaspheme and and especially in the day of judgment, in this evil time, in this time where the creature is being served and worshipped more than the Creator, where the doctrine of evolution blasphemes and speaks evil of the true word of God that God uh, tells us all throughout the Bible uh, in the beginning uh, God created the heavens and the earth. Oh, not so. Not so, men say and insist and and they actually um, think it's uh, it's the um, uh, it, it's the groundwork it's the basis for uh, being an intelligent person to believe such nonsense, to accept such ridiculous theories as evolution. And, and the truth is spoken evil of and through all these things and many more. God is blasphemed because it's His truth. It's His doctrine. And, and, and men cannot stand and and are no longer even willing to make a a, a, a front uh, as though they might stand for the truths of the word of God the Bible and and they're speaking evil of the God of heaven especially today when the Bible says the church age is over just uh, take a census if you would or or a poll course we don't need those kinds of things i'm just using this as an example and go to uh, whatever denomination you want and and bring up the doctrine of the end of the church age and you'll hear it it it, some evil speaking of concerning that doctrine or the appointed day of judgment may 21 2011 if you want to hear people speak evil of something in the world and in the church you can bring up that topic or or uh, the the idea that God would reveal his secret to his servants the prophets is dismissed and ignored and uh, and, and uh, with a, a wave of a hand along with a casual understanding of of the statement that no man knows and so yes there is much evil speaking of God and His doctrine going on, and uh, at this time, it, it is a result of God shutting the door of heaven, and perhaps like no other doctrine, that particular teaching, that God has ended His salvation program, He is no longer saving people, stirs up a venomous response, stirs up the anger and and arrogance and uh, pride in man that how dare you say such a thing their understanding of God their God would never do such a thing 
and uh, they they don't bother to check it out. They don't bother to search the scriptures to see if it's so. They know. They know that um, their idea of God, uh, their God, would never um, allow the world to continue without salvation. And yet, uh, this is the God of the Bible who speaks of judging mankind, and this is the judgment of God upon mankind. And yet, they they just don't uh, or will not accept these things. Well, uh, it goes on to say at the end of verse 11, um, well, let me read the whole verse again, and blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. Now, this is similar to verse 9 at the end of that verse of the same chapter. Um, God, which has power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. This is the second time in just a few verses God is saying, they repented not. They repented not of their deeds. He'll say it another time uh, at the, the very last verse. Um, well, is it there? Let's see. Uh, one more time later on in this chapter, God will also mention that they did not repent. And it is a, a indicator of man's sinful condition that he will not repent. Now, first of all, repentance is um, a part of salvation. Someone who becomes saved is granted, along with that salvation, the gift of repentance because they receive a new heart and therefore in their sole existence, their their old heart, their old nature, was constantly bringing forth sin, sinful things out of the heart. It was flowing, and and when God gave them a new heart, all that sinful activity ceased. the The heart God gives is pure and perfect, and it cannot sin, according to First John. And of course, it can't. It it's um, a foolish idea to think that God would take out your heart of stone, your desperately wicked heart, which is contaminated with sin, and replace it with a new heart that also is tainted with sin. Does that make any sense? No. It, it, of course God didn't do that. It's a resurrection. It's a new spirit and a new heart. That's the language of the Bible. And... And, and yet, some people continue to insist on using the language, even though they think they're saved, and and they talk of others that are saved, and yet they, in in discussing uh, a believer's ability to continue to sin, they'll say, "Well, we can still sin in our heart." No, you cannot sin in your new born again heart if you do possess a new born again heart. It is pure, holy, without sin. The sin that we continue to do after salvation is not coming from the heart. The heart is not the source of the sin any longer, but the physical body is. That's why the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 said, Inwardly I delight after the law of God, but uh, but outwardly was the problem. And who who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Our physical body. We uh, we need a resurrection of the body. The body needs to be saved. And so we 
continue to sin through the body, no longer through the heart. God has given us a new heart and spirit, and therefore repentance is part of the package of salvation as we now are able to perfectly obey God from the heart. And so that is not taking place any longer. Men are not repentant because they cannot be if God does not grant them a new heart. Uh, True repentance is not turning away from an outward sin like smoking or drinking or doing drugs or cursing or lying. That's repentance for the world. The, The world's definition of repentance is you stop doing something wrong or something unhealthy and you start um, doing something uh, better and, and healthier for yourself. That's the, the worldly definition. The biblical definition is that you must um, repent from the heart. And, and that's why God says in Jeremiah 31 that uh, he must turn us, and after we are turned, then we have repented. It's an act of God, a part of a gift of salvation. And now today, since no one's being saved, no one is repenting anew who is in their sins, and and so they repented not of their deeds. That's a true and accurate um, description of every unsaved individual in the world since May 21, 2011. There has been not one person that has repented biblically from their deeds from that which is taking place in their heart. And God points this same thing out. Um, and we went over this back in Revelation chapter 9, where uh, the 200 million horsemen slew the third part of men, which identified with all those in the churches as soon as May 21, 2011 came. In effect, that killed everyone in the corporate body, but the Lord went on to speak of others, not a part of the third part, not uh, within the church, in verse 20 and 21 of Revelation 9. And the rest of the men, which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils, and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. And this is speaking of every unsaved person in the world outside of the church. God had just finished addressing the third part, That's every unsaved person in the church. And now he's speaking of the rest of the men. They weren't killed by the plague that that killed every uh, professed Christian in the church because it was possible that perhaps uh, God might have saved them. And so there is no guarantee when, uh, when we encounter... Uh, a Muslim, a Buddhist, a Hindu, an atheist, or anybody outside of the church, that God could not possibly have saved them before he shut the door of heaven. But there is a guarantee 
that those in the churches and congregations could not possibly have been saved prior to his shutting the door of heaven. And of course, after God shut the door, no one could be saved. So, in essence, the third part were killed by the shutting of the door of heaven. The rest of the men were not killed by that particular plague. And as the day of judgment, this prolonged period of time has continued on, since that point, they repented not. The unsaved of the world continue in their sins. They, they're not changing. They're not turning back. They're, they're not saying, hey, let's, let's stop shopping on Sunday and, and let's, um, revisit the, the Lord's Day and, and observe it as the world did to some degree a few decades ago. And, and, and they're, they're not going in that direction. They're not saying, oh, this whole idea of, Men marrying men, it, 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 it's just nowhere to be found in the Bible. It's very obvious. Uh, uh, anyone who reads the Bible, uh, who's honest, can, can tell you that God would never have men marry men. We can't have that. No, the world's going in a different direction. They are not repentant. They are not turning back because God isn't turning anyone in their heart and, and they're going full steam ahead in the direction of rebellion, in the direction of open disregard of the law of God. And yet God would have them repent. Even unsaved people who are under the wrath of God, while they are under the wrath of God, during the time God is punishing them, and that's what's going on now, God would still command them and have them to repent. In other words, they are still responsible people created in the image of God, and and they have an obligation to obey God even while suffering under his wrath. And we can know that because... That was the situation with the Lord Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, it says in verse 5 and following, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So Christ was obedient unto death, the death of the cross, which is a shameful death. And, and of course, Christ was obedient from the, the point of the world's foundation when he made payment for sin. And Christ was obedient when he entered into the world, born in 7 B.C., and went to the cross in 33 A.D. to demonstrate in a tableau the truth that he had already paid for sins at the world's foundation. He was obedient in both cases, and he was obedient in the Garden of Gethsemane when um, he began to be in an agony 
and and uh, felt the the pains of death and was heavy, and he continued to be obedient right up until he went to the cross. And all the while, God was punishing him, and the Lord Jesus was suffering. Remember that verse in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5, and verse 8 says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. That means Christ began to suffer, and yet continued obediently submitting himself to the will of God through the suffering where he began to be judged and faithfully endured the wrath of God through the judgment process. And that is what God would have mankind to do in the day of judgment, to submit to his wrath. Not that it would save them in any way, but it is what they are called to do by God. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.